Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Today we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. How many people like fruit? I love fruit. Fruit's one of my favorite things. I, I call myself a fruit fly. I'm always eating fruit. Fruit is delicious. Now, the Bible tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, you can go ahead and pass the buckets. Sorry. And we done moved on past that. I'll give you guys a, a moment. Last week we spoke about, the last two weeks, about the gifts of the Spirit and the importance of the supernatural things of God in the church. If you remove the supernatural of God, we are nothing more than a nonprofit organization with good intentions. And that is not what the church is. When Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, he did not mean the gates of hell will not prevail against a nonprofit organization with good intentions. He said that they will not prevail against the church. The church rooted upon the fact that when um, Peter spoke out by the Spirit and said, you are the Messiah, a revelation hit him. He was in the Spirit. He, he understood it. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that unto you, but the Spirit of God revealed it to you. It's the Spirit that Jesus is speaking of. In that place of revelation by the Spirit of God, the gates of hell will not prevail. And uh, so we have such an opportunity as believers to grow in our walk and explore the realms of God. Constantly in the Word, you find out about people that were caught up into the heavenlies, that had dreams and visions and supernatural occurrences and encounters. You hear of stories of people that were empowered by God to do miraculous things, even of the prophet Elijah that said, I want a double portion. The Lord gave him a double portion. If you read the Word, I believe that Elijah performed eight documented miracles in the Word of God and Elisha is 16. He did 16, but the 16th one, he was dead and gone, and his bones brought a man back from the dead. When the man fell upon his bones, he was resurrected. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. The faithfulness of God, that time does not erode the promise of heaven. Amen. And think about all the men and women that have gone before us, that have spoken and are looking over the banisters of heaven, cheering this generation on for a move of God that the world has never seen before. That move will be marked by signs and wonders, for our God is a sign and wonders God. But it will also be marked by just such a passion for His presence and just a, a, a passion for souls. Like you will care about what heaven cares about. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit. Say fruit. So we spoke last week, gifts are instant, God gives a gift, the difference is the Christmas tree has a present under it, the gift can be given instantaneously, the tree can go up in a day. A pear tree takes many years to produce a pear that is edible for you. To produce fruit for God will take time and commitment. Let's read the word in Luke chapter 2 verse 25, it says, uh, at that time, now this is when Jesus was taken to the temple at eight days old for his circumcision. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. 
So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Now, this incredible story before the Pentecost ever came, here's Simeon. And Simeon was led, but let's, let's get this down, downstairs, somebody. Simeon was led by the Spirit, the Bible says, to the temple on this day. Now, this is a day like any other day. It wasn't like it was a special day. Simeon just was led by the Spirit on the exact day that Jesus, at eight days old, came to the temple. And so he witnessed what the Holy Spirit had promised him he would get to witness. He would see the Messiah. And he had it. Uh, And the Bible goes into detail about the character of Simeon. And I want to speak about that today. When we talk about fruit... Um, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but I've had many moments when I read the word and I'm like, why, why God, what was different about Abraham to where you chose Abraham above all others to be the one, the father of promise for his, the entire nation of Israel to come. You could take it into modern times, take some of the giants like Joyce Myers in, in, in the world today. One of the largest, most influential ministries there is. What is there about Joyce Myers that the Lord has promoted or elevated her to that place? Because you cannot look at her and say the Lord is not with her. You know that God is with her. Would you agree with that? Some of the greats, my Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, the revivals that the Lord has birthed from him, the Lou Ingalls, the generals of the faith today, what is it about them where heaven locked onto those people and just produce something that shaped this generation. Because it did. There, are be, there will be people that will live their entire lives and cross over into heaven. And they will be saved. But the word talks about it in Corinthians. All their life will be tried by the fire. And it will be wood, hay, and stubble. And they'll have nothing to show for their life. But they will be saved. And they'll get into heaven as one smelling of smoke or one that is, is, is scarcely saved, basically. So you live your whole life for, for God and do nothing that makes an impact. And see me in here, a normal man gets a promise from heaven. Think about this promise. When, when in this, the, 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 the long-awaited Messiah, and the Lord says to this man, you will not taste of death until you see him with your own physical eyes. That is getting the attention of God. And the Bible says Simeon was a man who was righteous, devout, and eagerly waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Righteous means he walked upright with God. Let me tell you something. Um, Having religion or having a belief or saying I'm a Christian or saying I'm a Muslim does not indicate that you're living according to what that religion tells you to live. I went to a Hindu city. It was a vegetarian city. They were sneaking chickens in. Bro, you, you're not going to live righteous just because I'm a Christian means you're living righteous. you got to want to live righteous. means when things come contrary to that, you're like, even though it's temptation, you're like, ow, and you run. You know what I'm saying? You live righteous because you want to live righteous. Simeon wanted to live righteous. He didn't need A promise from God to do it. He just said, I want to live upright before the Lord. If anybody's going to know God, it's going to be me. I'm going to live for you, God, and I want to walk upright, and I want to be pleasing to you. Call it whatever you want it, but that's what righteousness is. Righteousness is a commitment to walk upright with the Lord and say, God, I will never hide things from you, and I will never be 
Anything other than a person solely devoted to you and following after you. Amen? Who am I talking to right now? Who has that desire? You've got a desire. Think about it. Paul said this way, man, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit so that your faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he went in to say in the Amplified, it says, his message and demonstration of power stirred in people the most holy emotions and thus persuaded them. So what is he talking about? It's a heavenly desire, right? It's like people were like, man, I want to know the Paul. I mean, I want to know the God that Paul knows. That's what you want to live like. You want people to meet you and say, whatever God that person serves, I want, I want that God in my life. But I tell you, they, they are different than anything I've ever encountered. They're genuine. They're real. They're marked by something. My hair tingles when I'm around them. I get goosebumps, and that's just, I love it. Who am I talking to? See, we're talking about fruit. Fruit. Fruit is the intense character of heaven on the inside of you. It says he was devout. That means he was faithful, man. Think about all the things that, that, that every prophet, when God had a problem with Israel, what terminology did he use? Did he say this country has rebelled against me? He always equated it to a bride and a husband and her being loose with herself and following after other people and adulterating herself. So Christ from day one sees it as a marriage relationship. It's like, are you going to be faithful to me or are you going to date other people? Come on. We got real up in here right now. And that's the reality of a Christian's life. Are you going to be faithful to God or are you going to date other people? Because I see him on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I'll do what I want to do when I want to do what I want to do. I don't know where that came from. It's faithful. Faithfulness is just, man, I'm there. Whether he's speaking or I'm not hearing, I don't care. I'm his. Whether I have a great assignment or a small assignment, I'm his. Whether I'm doing spectacular things or I'm vacuuming the floor, I am his. Whether I'm reading the word and it's popping like popcorn or it actually feels like I'm struggling in this season to get meat from the word and I'm like, God, what blockage is there? I'm faithful to plow through because I am his. Amen. I'm not just led by good feelings, I am led by an absolute commitment to he's worthy of my love and I'll give him it all. Amen. Whether you celebrate with me or you come against me, he's the one that I love. Are you with me right now? And then the Bible says he eagerly was waiting. Think about eager. Has anybody ever been eager about something? You know you have. People are like, how many people were eager for restaurants to open back up? You're like, I am sick and tired of cooking. I'm sick and tired of taking a zigzag to find eggs at the grocery store. Turn left, upright, no, row 14 to 13, over on to 15, come up 16, and then take a slide, and you're like, what are you, the eggs are right there. I just installed a, just a loud beeping thing on me, like, 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 like heavy machinery when you're backing up. Beep, 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 and you just walk through the store like that. Beep, beep, and people just get out of the way. No, I never did that. I just went the wrong way because I didn't know I was supposed to look at the ground. My bad. <laughs> Apparently, I realized I don't usually look at the ground. I look at, in front of me because I went through a whole store the wrong way. And some lady said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going the wrong way. And I looked down and realized I had literally plotted the whole store backwards. Oh, well. But eagerly waiting means like you're like excited about it. 
You're excited. It's like when you're going on vacation. You're excited. You're counting down the days to vacation. It's like graduation. You're counting down the days of when class is over. You know, when you were in high school and you were like counting down the days to graduation and then you graduate and you're like, I want to go back to high school because now I got to work every single day. What's up with this? (laughs) And eager or anticipation is something that Simeon had. He was an old man, so it's not just he was young and so he was excited. He was an old man anticipating something awesome. So there was excitement in him. There was zeal in him. What does the Bible say? That a prize in the kingdom of heaven is sought after with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. It says, or the kingdom of heaven suffereth violent and the violent take it by force. You got to have an expectation and a heavenly desire. You got to just be charged up like I am going to grab a hold of heaven. Like the woman with the issue of blood. I've been everywhere else. I'm going through that crowd. I'm going to lay hold on Jesus and I will be healed. Amen. Amen. Bring that to God. You want to talk about fruit? Get some anticipation in you. And if you're not excited about God, you're feasting on things that are draining you of holy anticipation. And you got to get rid of that. Amen? Amen. So Simeon caught the, the eye of the Lord, basically. you got to live a life wanting to catch the eye of the Lord. Luke 13, verse 6 through 9. I'm going to be reading in the New King James for the rest of the day. It says, this is Jesus, he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. So, in all of your reading of the Word of God and your understanding of the gospel, the love of God, the presence of the Lord, His anointing, His Holy Spirit infilling, uh, healing, all this power, uh, understand through all of this, do not misquote the Bible. God expects people to produce fruit. Jesus gave this parable. He said, man, the, the, the vineyard, the keeper comes, and he's like, why is this tree even here? It is producing nothing. Just pluck it up, throw it away. God wants you to produce fruit. Amen? Now, this is not saying God wants you to produce fruit so that you're saved. You're saved because of what Christ has done through you. So we're not talking about you're working out your salvation through works. You cannot pay off the tab for salvation. That's, that's by faith. But once you're a born-again believer, God's looking at you saying, are you producing fruit for my kingdom? Think about all the commandments. Love love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind. Love your neighbor. Make disciples. Preach the gospel. All of these are actions for you to bear forth fruit for God. You're supposed to produce fruit. So you have to look at your life and say, am I producing fruit? You know, there was a time in my life um, uh, when I I promise I I was living the rough life. And I had this moment when... I crashed a boat. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I ran right solid into the wall of a, of a dam. It sounded like a gunshot. I watched my friend splat against the wall. I knew he was dead. It was the worst, most horrific thing I'd lived through at that moment. I'm 17 years old. I just watched my friend hit this wall. This boat's caving in, and my, everything went black. I knew I was dead. It was over with. My life was gone. And in an instant, I didn't have my life flash before my eyes like in fast motion. I just instantaneously knew that my life meant nothing. I knew it. 
It's like you couldn't have persuaded. That was the, I just remember so clearly that is the revelation that hit me. I'm dead at 17 years old, and my life meant nothing. If I had never been born, nothing would be different on the earth as of now because I'm, I'm gone. I hadn't gotten married. I hadn't had kids. There was no impact I'd made this side of eternity, and I knew it. And then the Lord miraculously moved the boat. I, my friend I watched hit was standing in front of me, groaning in pain, but we were all okay, and the Lord did a miracle. He sustained my life. But in that moment, what I'm telling you is if a person lives long, if you really live a long life, uh, you don't, you're not looking at life anymore of what can I amass in this world. It's like you've done it. You've, you've done your, your part. So you're not looking at how much more money can I make. People that have lived a long life get to a place where they actually turn back and they reflect and they're asking questions, what was it all for? What was the impact of my life upon this generation? And the Bible says a, a good man or a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Yes, God will bless you with wealth. He will prosper you. If you live according to the word, you'll be blessed because you're not spending so much money on all the junk of this world. And the Lord will increase you. But beyond that, an inheritance too is the richness of God's word, the richness of his presence, and a supernatural or impartation upon your life that is imparted into another generation. That's fruit that remains. When you live a long life, you begin to look back and think that's what you've got to live your life for, to produce something that matters when you leave this earth. The wealth of a life is not summed up in possessions or in bank accounts. There are people that had millions that have lost it just in this short amount of time because of how they were positioned. There are people that had nothing that made millions in this amount of time because of how they were positioned. You cannot sum up a life based upon a number on a computer screen. Nations can fall. Dollars can collapse. All of these things and temporal things. The only thing that is eternal is the people you're sitting by right now. That's eternity right there. You are walking around as an eternal person. Where you spend eternity is entirely up to you. And if you want to produce fruit that honors God, you're going to have to pour in to the only asset that lives forever. That's men and women. The wealth of a life has always been the people you're around, the relationships. What you're imparting into those around you is the fruit that is pleasing to God. Amen? Can somebody give a shout right there? we got to live for eternity. Don't live your whole life chasing after what the world told you to chase after and miss out on the fact that every day you could be enriching and making an impact on eternity based upon what you decide to focus on in that moment. Amen? God expects us to bear forth fruit. Matthew 7, 17 through 20 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Once again, Jesus in the Gospels speaking about this. Why does God expect us to produce fruit? Because you're made in his image. God produces fruit. You're made in his image. Whether you realize it or not, you're producing fruit in your life. The question is, what kind of fruit are you producing? Is it good eternal fruit or is it temporal bad? Are you leading people towards the dark side <laughs> or, or to the good side? Is the force with you or against you, so to speak? 
you're going to produce fruit. You influence lives. People around you take note of what you're doing. They hear what you're saying. You have influence, and the realm of influence can grow based upon how you grow yourself. So it may be a large influence, small influence, but you are bearing forth fruit. Say, how do I produce fruit? You will produce fruit. How do I produce fruit? By being alive and impacting people and being around people, you're going to produce fruit. How many people know that you've been swayed by the opinions of other people before? Absolutely, we all have. You go into it, you got your mind made up, someone comes along, I don't know if I do it this way. And even the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel, which means you will sway people's opinion if you have heavenly counsel. So Jesus is saying, man, a bad tree can't bear forth bad fruit. When you come to God, when you give God your heart, when you, when you surrender to him, as long as you're living through that vein of submission to Christ, you will bear forth good fruit. But when you begin to lean towards the flesh, which is always there, you know what I'm saying? I mean, why can't the Lord just remove our fleshly nature? Why do we have to suffer through this life with a stupid three-pound brain and a spirit that has access to God and always hear both stories? But you do. Why? Because it's the walk of faith. It wouldn't be faith if you only had one voice, but you have that idiotic flesh that's always trying to lead you into trouble. You know it's true. It's like as soon as you're going after God, people that start Bible school, they heard the spirit to start, then they heard the flesh to quit. It's that simple. And they're like, nah, and they talk themselves out of it. Pros and cons list. The pros and cons list is an entirely fleshly invention. Or you're just checking down the list. The Lord said it. That's a pro. But con, it's going to cost me a lot. It's exhausting. It should be settled by the fact that the Lord said it. You're going to bear forth fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7 says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which having strayed have... Uh, from, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. What is Jesus, or what is Paul saying here? He's saying that, first and foremost, the purpose of the commandment to love God, to, to walk upright, is to, is to live a sincere faith with God and to make a difference in people's lives. But some people devote themselves rather to idle talk and head knowledge, where that is what is called religion. That's why Jesus said about religion. He said, the Pharisees, beware of their teaching because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Religion comes in and makes minds get puffed up, but spirits decline so that you got a lot of head knowledge, but you're not doing anything for God. What good is it if you can quote scripture, but you can't live scripture? What good is it if you know 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, but you don't live the life that God has called you to live? The Bible says it's like a man that looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he even looked like. God is more impressed by a person that knows he's supposed to love and give, even though he can't quote a reference to it, but he's out there giving to a person in need and telling them, Jesus loves you, and he sent me here to tell you there is a way, and he is that way. God gets honor in that. A puffed up, head knowledge person does not honor the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that God can only use dumb people. Some people are like, yes! No, God uses geniuses. He uses common people. He uses wealthy. He uses poor. 
That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fruit. We're talking about what is the fruit of your life. If you have great wealth, what's the fruit of that, that wealth? If you have great knowledge, what fruit are you producing with it? God wants you to produce fruit. Amen. Come on, somebody. You have a purpose is what it really comes down to. And what are most people, why is suicide so prevalent right now? I'll tell you why it is. Because I know. I've lived through it. I've walked with people that have suffered with it, and I've seen them take their lives. And it damages everybody involved. People feel guilty. It messes with your head. You should have done something. You could have done something. Why didn't you do this? At the end of the day, it's their free will, and they chose it. The reason why they got so miserable is because they felt there was no purpose to their life. That's why people take their lives. Because the enemy wins in that battle of their mind and tells them, you don't have a purpose. There's no purpose to your life. And so they end it all. But let me tell you something. God never made a single person without a purpose. You are not a mistake and you're not an accident. You're not someone that slipped through the cracks. If you are here, you are divinely made, formed in your mother's womb where he breathed over you, sung over you, imparted his nature into you, breathed his spirit upon you. You're not a walking accident. You're a divine miracle from God with a purpose from on high to make a difference in the lives of people. And the devil knows that. He's terrified of every son of God that is led by the spirit that walks right in the rooms of despair and pulls someone out into the realms of joy. That's the call. That's the purpose of God. It's to produce fruit. You're only happy if you're producing something. You know that? You said it, if I gave you $5,000 a week for the rest of your life and all you had to do was sit at home and do nothing, you would be miserable after a while. Doesn't matter about what you got coming in. Amazon can deliver 100 packages today. You'll just stack them in a room and not even care. Because if you don't have a purpose, you're empty. But when you have a purpose, you cannot even be able to afford one Amazon package and you'll still love life. Hallelujah. Which everybody knows, at least you can get one thing on Amazon. This is America after all. You can get it in an hour. Amen. So the most important thing as a believer to focus or pray regarding, when you think about Simeon praying, eagerly desiring, anticipating something from God, is that I want to bear forth fruit. I don't just want head knowledge. I don't just want to sound smart. I don't only want to be able to debate people on spiritual matters. I want to be able to live spiritual truths. I don't want to talk about divine healing. I want to see divine healing. I don't want to talk about miracles of the past. I want to see it today. Come on. I don't want to hear about words of knowledge that someone wrote about 17 years ago. I want to speak it out by myself and have my own brain doing flips as it's trying to figure out what's happening. I want that life. I want the spiritual life. I want the supernatural of God. And you want that because you were made in the image of a supernatural God. Come on, Friedrich Nietzsche, the guy that wrote God is Dead, all about science killing God, wrote another article. And he said, why is it that man desires perfection? Why is it that man desires to be number one? You ever thought about that? Nobody ever woke up and said, if I could be number two, that would be great. If I could finish second place, oh, all my achievements, second place would be great. Everybody wants to hit the grand prize. And if you don't, you're lying to yourself. Or you've been beat up so much you gave up on what your nature was. The reason why that nature is inside of you. Because you were made in the image of perfection. You were made in the image of the first, the alpha, the omega, the king of kings. You have his nature in you. You desire perfection because you were made by the perfect one. And the only thing that will ever fill that void is to meet him.
Him and live for Him. Woo! Heaven's all about finally having that click. Mm. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I was made for streets of gold. Why? Because I was made in the image of the Almighty. I'm not amazing, but He's amazing and He made me. Amen? Are you with me right now? You have that design, divine desire. Don't let the world kill that desire. Don't, re, don't let religion replace that heavenly desire with a bunch of puffed up knowledge that doesn't translate to making a difference in people's lives. Ooh. We can waste years and years of our lives in disputes with puffed up learning and simply stop producing. Because if you remove real life application and the fruit from our walk with Christ, then all we have is head knowledge that's just ultimately useless. So what fruit are we, play, are, are we producing? Are we, or are you, I should say, enriching the body of Christ? Are you imparting into other people? Are you discipling people? Is there someone you can point to that you can say, I have poured my spiritual knowledge into this person. Much as I have from God, I've been trying to impart into this person. If not... Then try it because it will awaken something on the inside of you that is heavenly. Martin Luther, the guy that stood against the Catholic Church and started the entire Protestant movement, they said that he was a depressed and miserable person. Did you know that? Anybody ever studied that out? He was so cranky, so miserable, until his instructor came to him because he was a student, always learning, but never pouring out. And his instructor said, you are, you, there's a call of God on your life. I want you to begin to be a professor and to begin to teach. And he didn't want to do it. He felt unqualified. No. And as soon as he began to have everything that was poured into him pulled out of him, Martin Luther went and found his purpose, which was to start a whole reformation movement, breaking away from religion into the true move of God. Come on, you can be miserable until you're pouring out what's poured on the inside of you. That's what I'm saying. And let me tell you something. There is more in you than you know is in you. You have no idea until you're put in a place where you have nothing but God and what he's put there and you have nothing else to rely upon. Things start coming from your spirit and you're like, man, whoa, this is what Pastor Caleb was talking about. This is supernatural. Knowledge will flow. Boldness will come. Timid people, people that are nervous to say anything will be bold as a lion if they step out in the right place. I'm not saying that every, ever since that moment they're going to be yelling at people everywhere they go. <laughs> you can be timid, you can be chill, but when you step into that place, things will flow out of you. It produces fruit. Who wants to produce fruit for God? Come on. Let me tell you something. We all have a race to run, and some races are longer than other races. So you're not promised tomorrow. You realize that, right? As good as God is, one day we will all, there's a Baptist church in, in Mascot right now that says, their, their billboard says, one out of every one people die. I love it. Very accurate. One out of every one people die. Are you ready is what it says. <laughs> you can't avoid that, you know. You can eat healthy and have green beverages every day and work out and look super fit. And you can still wind up dying early in life by some crazy thing. It's just, you can't, I'm, and I'm not trying to doom people here. I'm just saying, realize that the time that you have is the time that you have. And you got to start living now. Right? You gotta start living now. What am I producing now? Not what can I produce seven years from now. What can I do right now to make a difference? If I got $20 to my name, I can find someone that doesn't have any dollars to their name and I can give them some money today. 
and I can pat them on the back and I can pray with them. And then you step in motion a supernatural chain of blessing of God upon your life. Come on. One time we had a truck we wanted to give away. We finally had the place where we could give a vehicle away. We were so excited about it. We're like, woo, baby, we've been believing God for this. We can give a car away. Let's give a car away. We're praying who should we give the car to. We get this name of this person. We go up to them. We're like, man, we're going to sew this car into you. And they just start crying. They turn their iPad around and they're like, we literally came in here today and wrote what we need from the Lord. And at the top of it, we need transportation. We have no way to get around. And I was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So then we're giving them the truck. And I'm like, we have this TV. And we're like, let's just give them the TV. We don't watch TV. We're, we're, we're holier than that. <laughs> we don't even know what this contraption does. <laughs> so we put the TV in this truck. I deliver the truck. And he sees the TV. Now he's getting a car. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. He sees the TV and he's like, oh my gosh, that TV, what, what? And I'm like, it's a TV. <laughs> he's like, you have no idea. We were leaving Africa. And we had saved up for two years in Africa to buy that exact model, that exact size television. It cost us everything we had, and we couldn't fly to America with it, so we had to give it to someone. And we're like, man, that was our TV, God. And there it is sitting in the back of a pickup truck to give to him that day. Now, the motion is this. So we give the car away. What we didn't know is they're borrowing another person's car that was struggling with their faith about whether or not the Lord actually cares about his children and, 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 and takes care of them. And they were kind of getting pressure from this from their parents saying, look, the Lord didn't take care of you. You gave two years in Africa. Now look at what you're at and all this stuff. So the same day we gave them a car, someone comes and gives to their parents a BMW. So now they come home. We just got given a pickup truck. And they're like, we just got given a BMW. And it's like, drop the mic. What is this? Is it about a car? It, transportation helps. It's not about a car. It's about the fact that when you go through that, you look at God and you realize God is the author and the finisher of my faith. If I'm following after God, simple things become supernatural occurrences. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. I don't want to just live my life and wonder if God is real. God in the great by and by, if you're real, send an acorn from on high to blow past me. I want to live every day where people are like, is God real? Yes. And then you could go for hours. Let me tell you what the Lord did in my daughter's life. Let me tell you what he did in my marriage. Let me tell you what he did in my finances. Let me tell you what he's doing right now on the earth today. People are always like, why doesn't the Lord move like he did in the 1990s? He's still moving upon the earth today. You're the one stuck in the 90s. Hello, Napoleon Dynamite's uncle. But I can throw this football over a mountain too. Yeah, you can. Get out of the past and live for the God that's alive right now, that's moving on the earth today. There's still prophets being prophesied. There's still bodies being raised. There's still giants coming down. There's still nations being shaken. There's still the supernatural. Hey, somebody. Mama Monday. Woo. I'm glad I came to church this morning. Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. You talk about fruit, we're talking about choosing to live an awesome life, a godly life, a supernatural life versus what this world 
tries to mock and say, this is what you should live like. You should live in the struggle zone. The struggle is real. Mm-mm. Mm. Buying that devil from hell. Struggle ain't real. Except maybe the flesh versus the spirit. I guess I can make it work. Producing fruit. Are we living a supernatural life? Is there fruit attached to our life that can point to God? People look at us and think they, they believe what they, what they preach or do they preach it and live another life? Do your kids look at you and think, man, everything my parents do, we go to church not because they, they're in fear of if they don't go to church, they're going to go to hell. We go to church because serving God is exciting and my parents display that to me. You with me right now? It's fruit. It's fruit. People are looking at fruit. And the Bible says what? Well, they'll know. You'll be known by your fruit. You are known by your fruit. People look at people. When you say names like Warren Buffett, what is he known for? He's like a multi-billionaire. Everybody knows Warren Buffett. Bill Gates, what's he known for? The fruit of his life. Things that people can equate to, this is what he did. He's definitely definitely not known for his vaccines. You can't get antivirus software to work on my PC. I'll stay away from your antivirus on my PB, my personal body, too. I know. He's just got a lot of money. He can, he can hire whatever. So John 15, 1 through 8. This is Jesus speaking. And if you've never really, really, really studied John 14, 15, 16... Jesus' basically last instructions and ministry before he left the earth to his disciples that had been with him and walked with him and had seen miracles, it is absolutely every verse is full of revelation. I mean, I've read 14, 15, 16 hundreds of times, and every time I read it, I'm like, this is so rich right now. There's so much contained in what Jesus was addressing. People say, you know, people's last words matter. When someone knows that these are the last words I have to instruct, every word counts. And Jesus, obviously, he never wasted a word. But in those, those three chapters, man, he, it's meat. It's just meat. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, prunes, prunes that it may bear more fruit, he perms. Let's talk about pruning, and then we're going to keep going on that. So pruning is that part where, in, in, in literal sense, it's, it's where people are clipping parts of the tree in order to push where the fruit comes from and get it, get it in the right place so that it bears forth more fruit. Pruning would be basically a violent assault upon the tree that somehow or another spurs the tree to produce more fruit. Now, Jesus is using that example to let us know that um, every branch in Christ will produce fruit, but those that are producing fruit, God is going to come in and begin to sharpen you. He's going to begin to sharpen things in your life. He's going to put you through the fire, the baptism of fire. He's going to put you through a growth place. And many people can testify seasons of intense growth, Bible school, intense growth. They started, I said, it's a crucible, man. It's like, it's like jumping into a pot a pressure cooker, and you're going to come out accelerated on the other end, softer than you've ever been before. That's the pruning process of Christ. What does it look like? 
it looks, it takes a variety of things. Sometimes it's just uh, going through a tough season. Sometimes it's coming to church and everything that's being said is grating you like sandpaper to your spirit. And you feel like this is, mm, this, this is, mm. change the subject, pastor. I just, ooh, how do you know that? I've had people come to me and ask, did I follow them on Facebook this week? Truthfully. And I'm like, bro, I don't have time to follow you on Facebook. I don't actually know your name. <laughs> Sorry, I've seen your face before, but I wouldn't know where to Google this face, you know. And some people I do know, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go onto your Facebook and stalk you. Nobody's Facebook stalking nobody. It's just sometimes the Lord knows. And it's grading you. It's grading you. And it's good to be in that. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's good. If you are, if there's, if it's like, if it's been so long since the Holy Spirit has actually really got something that he's working in you, then what, where are you? Did you grow numb to the things of the Lord? Because it's a continual process of growth in God. You don't wake up one day and you're an apostle because you had a good night of rest. <laughs> to bear forth fruit takes time. You get to that place by faithfulness over time and letting the Lord work things out and then learning to chew things and sometimes rebukes come. I've, we've had people that have been rebuked here for stuff and I'm thinking to my wife, I'm telling her, that no one will live through that rebuke. Like, they will leave the church and they blossom and grow. And you're like, hey, I would have been offended at that. They grew by it because their heart is not after the acclamations of men it's after the holy spirit and when you're focused on god god can send men in that come again and tear at some of the things in your life that need to be tore at and you don't get mad at the person because your eyes were on him the whole time and you're like i see it god thank you for revealing that to me i'm gonna grow now some of the biggest killers in the body of christ are actually jealousy and pride that's the truth of the matter People get jealous over someone being used by God. People get jealous over someone being blessed by God. It's like everybody's like, God, he's going to bless you. And then someone gets a car given to them, and then they walk away angry at the Lord and the church and everybody involved. Why didn't I get a car? You could still get a car, but first get a good attitude. Amen. And that's what pruning is. Pruning is like, I had a bad attitude right there. And I'm going to grow from that. I had pride. There was a time, and I always exposed myself to people. I don't know. Well, spir <laughs> Spiritually. I'm an open book. <laughs> just, just call me Biden. No. Don't make that a clip. Don't put that one-liner out there, Pastor Caleb. Never mind. Spiritually, I'm an open book. And so there was a time in my life that I went, I actually went forward in an altar call because I had messed up. And I would let sin into my life. Okay? So I feel like a dog. And I knew in that moment, now... When, you, when you're like on staff at a ministry, to go forward in an altar call, you feel like everybody's talking. Like, like you feel like you hear a whisper as you're going forward, and every step forward, you're like, boom. 
And, but, and your heart's beating and your flesh is telling you, bro, he can take care of you at the chair. You don't have to go up in front of everybody. But your spirit's like, go, go, humble yourself and go. And so I remember going forward in this altar call. I could hear the whispering, everything, and I'm broken before the Lord, and I'm crying, and the presence of God comes, and it's so awesome. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And they take us to the back room, and they're praying for everybody. And all the pastors, a part of this church, are laying hands on people, and there's this person that doesn't fall down. Now, it doesn't really matter whether you fall down or not. But this person doesn't fall down. And they came to me. I'm on staff. And they said, you pray for them. I pray for them. And they hit the ground instantly. And it was because the anointing was so strong because I just humbled myself. Do you know what my flesh did, Pastor Mark? Instantaneously, my head said, I'm more anointed. I'm more anointed than the pastors of this church. This guy fell and he didn't fall for them. I'm serious. You see how much pride can literally lurk inside you? You went from the most humble moment of your life crying on your way to the altar and 30 seconds later you're the greatest apostle that's ever lived. That's the flesh, people. You don't think that needs pruned? You don't think God's like, I'm going to deal with that right now, whippersnapper. <laughs> clip. No. Clip. Ow. Clip. Stop. Clip. No. Can I just bear forth a little fruit? Why do I got to bear forth a lot of fruit? And as soon as I thought it, as soon as my head thought it, I was like, I'm more anointed instantly. I was like, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. I fell to my knees. I'm like, please, I don't even want those thoughts, God. Everybody probably thinks I'm talking about some perverse thing. I'm like, I don't want those thoughts, God. I told you, he's a weirdo. But I didn't care. Because instantly I saw how fickle my own flesh can be. That process never stops. People get used to it. Get used to saying, I'm sorry. Get used to being quick to forgive. Get used to realizing there are going to be times you nail it and times you screw it up. And how you deal with that depends on the fruit that you're going to produce. Because nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody's going to live their life and just every moment choose the right thing. You're going to make a mistake. But the people that gain the attention of God are the ones at that moment that go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. And I'm asking once again for the grace that was so strong upon my life to be upon me like David. I'm asking you to not take your spirit away from me, God. But use me. That's pruning. It is not fun. But it is awesome to go through it because it deepens your walk with God. And it's like you've been somewhere with the Lord. And he's gotten deeper in you than he previously was before that moment. Verse 3, you've already, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you will bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. 
Think about that. Now, a lot of people grab that scripture and they teach that scripture right there with Mark eleven twenty four. 24. <laughs> ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And the people are like, man, ask, name it, claim it. But this, this comes after the pruning. Do you get that? So first you go through pruning. Then you get to a place where your desires are lined up with his desires. Simeon was eagerly awaiting the return of the Messiah. The desires, the heavenly desire lined up with the Father's desire to reveal a Messiah to a nation. So he found a man that was in agreement with him. And he said, you're the man. You will not taste of death until you see the promise fulfilled. It's after you've gone through a process that you get to a point where your desires are in line with God's desires because he's burned out and pruned out the junk that needs removed and suddenly you're at a place where anything you ask of God in that realm and that heavenly desire, he'll give it to you. Amen? Isn't that precious? I love this. I love teaching this because it's so important to realize that, man, the Lord does not make mistakes. And if you see a person being used by God, I promise you honor that person because they went through something to get there. They didn't just, they weren't just well-educated and super talented from birth. They went through a process, people. God, you can trust God to, to reveal the character of people. Now, obviously, nobody's perfect. So even people that get to a level, but you'll watch them and they'll handle it differently. Fruit takes time to produce. It doesn't come overnight. Salvation is instant. As the thief on the cross cried out to Christ and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation is not something that you spend a lot of time to produce in your life. It is instant because he won the victory and he gives it to you as a gift. Salvation is yours. But what salvation is is not just a ticket into heaven. Truthfully, salvation is restoration back to a relationship with the Father that you were intended to have. Sin has been removed. Every separation has been removed. And now you actually have a relationship with your Father that you were made for. Amen. Or you can liken it as every Israel, as God spoke in the Old Testament and Christ uh, put out in the New Testament. It's marriage. It's literally a bride and a groom. That your salvation is your wedding day. You are beginning your walk with the Lord together. Salvation is not the completion of the marriage. It's the beginning of the marriage. Walking out. The fruit production comes from there. When lives get intertwined together, fruit comes from it. Look at, look at my wife and I. We met. Now there's more people in the world than there was before we met. We produce fruit. In this church, there's a lot of that production going on. Baby's popping everywhere right now. We have, we have, we just decided, you know what? We're not going to advertise. We're just going to encourage natural growth. People just keep having babies. One day we'll be a mega church at this rate. Make room, baby. We'll have 18,000 members. How did you get it? It's just, we have healthy relationships. Amen. It's It's a pure thing, but there's fruit that comes from it. When you talk about producing fruit, fruit is just simply produced by the walk of the relationship with the Father. You, you, got, a, you got a relationship now. Walk this thing out. Get to know Him. 
Get to spend time with him. Develop that sensitivity to his spirit. Develop those moments of just learning how to just let the noise and the bustle of this life pass away and get in that just divine moment with the Lord where the spirit can just whisper to you and you, you build that relationship. It's learning how when he nudges you sometimes to try that nudge and see what happens. Amen. How many people in here, if the Lord has ever asked something big of you, so what you did was say, all right, God, if... This happens and that happens. I'll confirm that this is you and then I'll do that. You know you have. I do it all the time to the Lord. He's like, sometimes the Lord will be like, do this. And I'm like, God, if that's you, remind me three times about that. And he'll sometimes do it and other times he won't. Now, the fault lies with me because sometimes the Lord will just give a little unction to see if that's enough for you to go after. Sometimes it's just a whisper. And you want eight paragraphs, a sentence, a prophet, a Facebook post, some money in the mail, and someone knocking on your door confirming, and you're like, I, I, I knew it was the Lord. Bro, you didn't know it was the Lord. You had to have seven people tell you it was the Lord. But that's the relationship. I can, because when you develop a relationship, I don't need you to tell me what my wife's thinking. I look at her, and I know when I'm in trouble, and I know when I'm good. I don't need some prophet to come and say, thus saith the Lord, your wife. There's contention between you. There is? I didn't know. Oh, I know. I, know. I have a relationship with her. Deeper you get where you walk with the Lord, the, the better that relationship is to where he can nudge you. Hey, try this. Do this. Maybe do that. And it's just a nudge and you just go with it because you have that relationship. Isn't that precious? It's precious. 2 Timothy 2.20, and I'm, I'm beginning to close. It says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So this scripture always stood out to me because Malachi 3, and you read about Jesus, Luke chapter 12, all about the baptism of fire. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I wish it were already so. Speaking about the baptism of fire. And he begins to talk about basically, you read chapter 12 of Luke. It goes through all sorts of things from religion and worrying about how much wealth you have and what you're going to eat. And worrying about what people think and what you're going to wear. These are the things the fire comes to burn out of you. So that you're not thinking or processing like the world wants you to process. Amen. He's the purifier. Malachi 3 says he's the refiner. And he's the purifier. So as one man said... We catch fish. It's our job to catch the fish. It's God's job to clean the fish. Anybody here testify the Lord has worked on you after salvation and you're better than you were at the start. The Lord works things through you. So we know that ultimately all glory goes to God for transformation. God is the one that transforms lives. He's the one that takes out a stony heart and he puts in a heart of flesh. He's the one that begins it. He's the one that completes it. He's faithful to do those things. Yet this scripture that Paul wrote in the second letter to Timothy stands out because it says these. If anyone cleanses himself. If anyone cleanses himself. If anyone cleanses himself. So God's the one that transforms and yet the the ownership of the cleansing belongs to the man, which means God is looking for a person that will voluntarily go through the process. 
If a man cleanses himself, now he's not the one bringing the fire. He's not the one bringing the silver. All he's doing is bringing the sacrifice. But it's a willing sacrifice. Romans 8, uh, present your body before the Lord as a living sacrifice. And in that, it purifies you to become a vessel of honor. Well, how is a person cleansed? The Bible says, flee your youthful lust. Run away from temptation of this world. Block things. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Watch what you're spending your time with. Watch the company that you keep. Because it says, it's, you, 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 you pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What is he saying to do? If a man cleanses himself, how does he do it? Flee from stuff of this world and surround yourself with people that call from God out of a pure heart and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace together. That's church, ain't it? Come on, how many people can say church has been a major impact upon your life? I'm transformed by church. My life was radically changed. My family didn't go to church, and we all lived hellish lives. And then we started going to church, and suddenly things began to change rapidly in us. Amen. You go from salvation to baptism to baptism in the Holy Ghost to serving in church to being a youth leader to, to, to running the sound, and you're there being trusted. You have a key to the building. What? <laughs> there was a time that wouldn't would give me a key to anything. Now I've got a key to the church, the holy ground. Why? Because the process, because you're voluntarily letting the Lord take you on this journey. He's chopping that off. He's chopping that off. And you're around people that are calling out to the Lord from a pure heart. So iron sharpening iron. Come on. Find people more on fire for God than you and hang out with them. Just get around people excited about the Lord. And live in that place because that joy, that excitement is contagious and it'll come upon you. Amen? We're all influential. That's fruit that we produce. People zealous about the Lord are producing that zeal in other people. You want to be that person in Jesus' name. So Galatians 5, 16, and I'm closing now, says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. If I can get someone on keys right now. The Bible says basically there's a war. A spiritual war has always been the flesh versus the spirit. It's been the natural understanding of man. It's been the very influential part of yourself because your flesh is influenced through the opinions of people and the atmosphere you're around. Your flesh draws information by current circumstances. It can't do anything else. All it knows is that moment. Because your flesh does not live in the future. Christ has already been to the end and came back. So he doesn't live based on current circumstances. In this world, we live our lives. And our flesh is always looking at things through the current veil of what we have at that moment. A person with $100,000 in the bank feels great. If they lost it by noon, they would have a totally different demeanor. Why? Because the flesh processes only by now. But the spirit has been there. It's eternal. And it knows that this life's but a vapor. So it's steadfast. It doesn't get caught up in hype of this world. It doesn't get caught up in swaying of, of masses or crowds. Even large groups of people could go one way, but the people with the Spirit can go another way. My father-in-law came to America. The Lord said to him, now this is just for him. He said, 
what do you want me to do in America? He said, son, find out what the church is doing and do the opposite. That was instruction from God. And he wound up, look at what the Lord has done in his life. Now, I'm not saying that's instruction for everybody because there's a lot of great churches, and I believe that. I love the bride. But that's what he said. Find out what everybody's doing and you do the opposite because that'll be me. There's a mass crowd of people that can go one way, but the question is, are you being led by the Spirit? Is it a crowd following the Spirit or is it a crowd following the flesh? And only those that have gone through and learned to hear the voice of the Lord and produce that fruit, that heavenly fruit, they're the ones that begin to follow the right voice and find themselves at the right place at the right time taking the instructions that they need. And what does it lead to? Galatians 5, 22 and 26. The fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.